Hey everyone. Hey y'all. Welcome, Welcome back, back to The Ink. <laughs> a podcast devoted to uncorking the comics, films, video games, and TV shows that make up all things geekdom. Especially as they both reflect and represent the rich colors of POC-centered and occasionally POC-adjacent narratives. Uh, we have been gone for a little while, but we are finally back back yes we are in our new year of 2020 back 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 again yes um the universe is all coming together and we are finally (laughs) (laughs) getting back to doing this (laughs) one episode in we needed a break you know i think we have two don't we no no we had a trailer and then our first episode oh yeah and so this is our this will be officially our second episode which i mean it's still our first season. It's fine. Totally fine. Totally fine. What do the um the celebrities say? Um, thank you so much for for respecting our privacy during this time. Yes. Exactly. Yes. yes. We were just trying to get our method acting on, so we need a little bit of time mm. to um, really, ing- you know, ingrain ourselves into the character. Deeply immerse ourselves yes. um, and, and the uh, medium that... That we've chosen, mm-hmm. you know, for communicating our thoughts yeah. with the universe. And I learned that I was your geek. Um, I, I live the method. You do. I you do. very much live and breathe the method. Um, I am a perfectionist, which is a surprise to nobody. <laughs> I was going to say, we knew that part. I think we knew that. But I also like to sleep. Um, <laughs> so we took some necessary time off to reorganize ourselves. And mm-hmm. we are really excited to be back on our regular schedule talking with you all about the wonderful world of geekdom and all the things that animate us as queer folks of color who hope to see more of the stories represent our lived experiences and just provide a lens um onto this kind of work yep so uh i guess we'll get into it let's go uh this week i am cosplaying as amulet aka fadi fadalala um he is the newest superhero to fight alongside miss marvel and will be debuting in march of this year um so most of his details are under wrap Um, He hasn't really entered the comic yet, um, but his design has been released and a few details about him have been released. And honestly, to me, he looks really, really, really cool. Um, His powers are magical in nature, and he is also an Arab American from Michigan. Mm -hmm. So he's kind of continuing that trend of Miss Marvel being from Jersey City. He's from Michigan, maybe Detroit. I think it's Detroit. I think so. so. Yeah. These are definitely cities that you don't really get or think of when you think of superheroes and big action and all this, you know, these kind of things. Yeah. You usually think of like maybe New York City. Oh, of maybe course, of course. Yeah. London, maybe um, LA, but you know, never Detroit or never. What's interesting <laughs> is that Jersey we City. would, especially, um, mm, I'm not going to make this claim, but I remember distinctly growing up with Superman and noticing how he grew up outside of a major city. And yeah, I think, Smallville. yeah, I think that's probably fictional, but fictional most definitely. But I was going to say that's probably the only thing grown, so. <laughs> corn being grown and something else with the corn, <laughs> um, corn fed bottoms. That's what they call them. Don't they? Uh, is it? So <laughs> as far as popular culture, um, I could imagine like Smallville and other places representing what the like, uh, American Midwest would be yeah. the equivalent of yeah, the American yeah, yeah. Midwest That's true. That's true. and comics and all that jazz. But yeah, definitely not places where you would think to find some of the strongest superheroes or the next generation mm-hmm. of superheroes. Mm-hmm. But um, Amulet, his uh, defensive style powers are said to be tied to his Lebanese background. Mm. And he is co-created by Saladin Ahmed, who is the writer of 
uh, Miss Marvel, who and he also wrote for um, Miles Morales, Miles Morales. right? Miles mm-hmm. Ultimate yeah. Spider-Man. I think it was Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. And Sarah Alfegi. Yeah. Um, and this week I am cosplaying as Brother Voodoo, aka Doctor Voodoo. I'm so happy I didn't say Brother Blood because I've been saying that this yeah, entire day. Because yeah, yeah. I've been toying around with this, <laughs> going back and forth between characters. You know, she likes to have looks. Um, who is also known as Doctor Queen? <laughs> yes, she is. Who is also known as Doctor Voodoo and Jericho Drum? He is an older superhero and one of the most powerful spellcasters in the Marvel universe. And at one point, he even served as Sorcerer Supreme, which is a title. Personally, my Sorcerer Supreme. <laughs> if, it, if it's not going to be Wiccan, it's Brother Voodoo, which is a title typically reserved for one of the strongest spellcasters in the Marvel universe, most commonly held by Doctor Strange. Yes. So it's yeah. a yes, it's a long story as to how he became Sorcerer Supreme. But um, long story short, there was once upon a time where Doctor Strange couldn't cut it, so Brother Voodoo, aka Doctor Voodoo, stepped up and said, "Hold my coffee." No shit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Doctor Strange couldn't cut it. Wow. He is also the new headmaster of a new school of magic in the Marvel Universe known as Strange Academy, which is also going to be a new comic book series in which Voodoo, alongside other magic folks like Nico Minoru from uh, Marvel's Runaways, mm-hmm. which is um, actually closing out its television run. It's been yeah. on Hulu. Unfortunately, it's closing out. But it's also airing on Disney+, Plus, so maybe they'll start making new episodes there. Possibly. Very true. Um, the Ancient One, and no, not Tilda Swinton, but the actual <laughs> ancient one yes <laughs> who taught dr strange um his magic scarlet witch and name a few folks they are essentially training the next generation of spellcasters from across several realms i'm really excited for this series. it's going to be really really cool and it's coming out in march 2020 so in march you have two things to look forward to oh it's going to be a magical march yes it is yeah all right so what's coming down the pipe for you dear uh, coming down the fi- pipe for me is finishing up the series uh, Kippo and the Age of Wonderbees. Um, so far, I'm into about three episodes, and um, and it's it's a wonderful series. Um, I don't know if the Netflix algorithm is making it show up for you, but if not, please go out there and search for it because it is great. Um, it premiered on January 14th, <clears throat> and it focuses on the character Kippo. Um, who is voiced by Karen Fukuhara. Uh, she also voices Glimmer from the She-Ra, the Netflix She-Ra series. Um, she played Katana in the um, bad, bad version of uh, well, the Suicide Squad. Yeah, <laughs> the, the live-action uh, thing that yeah. that was. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. She, she also played the female in Amazon Prime's The Boys uh, adaptation. But uh, Kipo, uh, who has spent most of her life underground, um, is unfortunately separated from her, from her family, mainly her father, who is voiced by Sterling K. Brown. Yes, it is. Um, after a mutant attacks her settlement. And everyone is displaced. Um, and she's kind of forced to, um, from the underground to, to, the, to be above ground, and, which is filled with all of these very dangerous and deadly creatures, most of which are the size of skyscrapers. Yeah, they're they're large, mm-hmm, very very large. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's hard because <laughs> we want to sell you, but we also don't want to spoil it for you. But um, 
notice by our hesitation that there are some good shit. There's, there's so good, good, good shit. Good shit. But, she uh, just read between the lines. Yeah, but uh, she meets some really cool characters. Uh, most of the characters on this show are POC, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. Um, and they're funny and they're quirky. Um, it is post-apocalyptic, mm-hmm. um, which we kind of find out by there's this one moment in the first episode where they go into the grocery store to look for um, supplies and scavenge and um, Kippo sees this milk jug, this aspire milk jug um, from October 23rd, 2020. So we have a few more months left, guys. <laughs> Trump's America. He got the job done. I was going to say, the but these, these first three weeks, um, if that is any indication the rest of this year, besides hopefully a more fruitful election. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, this, this, this series takes place 200 years in the future. Um, so 20, no, sorry. 2,220. I was going to say, I'm, I'm gay. I can't do math. <laughs> I was like, math is hard. But um, yeah. It's created by DreamWorks, um, this DreamWorks storyboard artist named Radford uh, Seacrest. Um, and the soundtrack uh, was curated by the same guy that did the soundtrack for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um, really great music, really great art style, really cool characters. Um, and, it you know, there are lessons learned along the way. So it's definitely... Oh, of course, of course. Definitely a good series. Uh, and don't let it slip by. Again, if Netflix algorithm just does not do its job or if you like the rest of us are inundated with the four tv shows six movies two documentaries the random ass podcast to to mini series that netflix will release at 2 p.m on a friday um we'll make sure to link this in our show notes you can get through that deluge of content Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because god knows we struggle as well (laughs) um i mean honestly like other other animated series are definitely leading the charge of a new breed of content that we really wished we would have had growing up. Honestly. God knows, but you know, the future's bright for these kids out here. In a similar vein of the future being bright, um, my what's coming down the pipe is a new book by Echo Brown called Black Girl Unlimited. And despite the title sounding more like a marketing scheme or ploy it actually is what seems to be a very substantive book i was like is that a cover girl palette can we talk about it not even that but i feel like that's like a very like off color viacom marketing scheme unfortunately um but this actually is somewhat autobiographical in nature um it is about this girl echo brown who is a wizard from the east side where apartments are small and parents suffer addictions to white rocks there is magic so unfortunately, and fortunately, none of these are my words. I'm actually going to read a description from the publisher of Macmillan because honestly, my words could not do this justice. So when there are better words, rely on them. Mm-hmm. So each day, Echo travels between two worlds, leaving her brothers, um, her friends, and a piece of herself behind on the east side. There are dangers to leaving behind this place that made you. Echo soon realizes that there is pain flowing through everyone around her, and a black veil of depression threatens to undo the, everything she's worked for. And one thing that I left out is that there are actually portals that begin to open between when Echo transfers to this rich school on the west side Mm -hmm. um, and where she currently lives. So there is this magical phenomenon happening and she has this really cool teacher who becomes this powerful mentor for her. I'm about it. Yes. Um, So I'm super excited for it as someone that 
um, really saw and internalized things like gifted classes and, you know, rich opportunities as an escape from a less than ideal home life um, and as the only way out, as I was taught to believe by white educators. I am very intrigued by this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also the, the fact that this story is being... Um, deeply and critically investigated through the lens of magical realism and autobiography makes me really hungry for these kinds of stories because they're going to do a number of things for the culture that we need to one have done a long time ago but really fostering conversations among a more conscious youth who will look at these white educators and say um but Miss Smith, what about XYZ? Exactly. Um in ways that I definitely didn't have the language for and in ways that young folks of today um, not only need to have, but are definitely using with a great deal of um, ease. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So like I said, the future is definitely bright and I look forward to seeing how this book contributes to growing content um, geared towards young adults. It kind of reminds me of um, the Owl House as well. Oh yes. Yeah. A new TV show also (laughs) on Disney. That we just watched yeah, the first we episode. Just watched the first episode. It really looks amazing, um, but we'll save that for another another podcast episode because mm-hmm. that, I feel like it definitely deserves its own time. Oh yeah, completely. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it comes out the day that we're recording this episode, so I can let folks know, um, or at least know about the first chapter because I'm reading that after we record, That's and right. we'll go from there. 2020 new goals. Look. <laughs> All right, let's get into the next section of our podcast, News Reel. Woo! Um, Hulu has handed out a script order for the adaptation of the Binti series, which is an amazing three-part African futuristic novella. Uh, The first novella, written by Nnedi Okorafor, published in 2015, with the two sequels uh, respectively publishing in 2017 and 2018. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter broke the news earlier this week that the um, that Nnedi Okorafor, who you might also know um, from the Akata Witch series, um, but also just like numerous things, like she's pinned so many things. It just it's it's crazy. Please go out and check. Uh, yeah. Please go and check her bio out. Um, Wikipedia her. Um, go out and read as much um, as you can because she's a great writer as well. Mm-hmm, completely. Um, but she will be co-writing the script alongside Stacey O.C. Kufor, who you might know for um, helping write uh, HBO's Watchmen series. Um, Side note, shout out to Regina King for... (laughs) I was like, wait, what? (laughs) For winning um, the Critic's Choice Award for the Best uh, Actress in a Drama Series. Uh, Work, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. For uh, for her role as Angela um, Abar in Watchmen. Um, but yes, uh, Nnedi Okorafor and Stacey O.C. Kufor, uh, will be writing the script, uh, for the production company Media Res. Mm-hmm. Uh, now Nehemiah has read this series, or at least read the <laughs> first two novellas of the series. I was series. like, no, no, one must not tell lies. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, he's, it's kind of been through him and just like research and from what I've heard from friends as well, that I know that this series is dope as food. Completely. Um, so, I'll, I'll let you kind of go into what the series is kind of about. Sure. I'll give them a short synopsis. Yeah. Uh, short synopsis. That's mm-hmm. one to say. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially when so... we're on the lips. <laughs> 
Thank you, Michael. Yes. <laughs> a little behind the scenes little note mm-hmm. for everybody out there. Uh, so, uh, Binti is essentially about the titular character, Binti, who is part of the Himba tribe in Nigeria. This book takes place in a futuristic Nigeria, and she is brilliant at STEM, so really great at technology and math in particular. And in this universe, math and magic are essentially part and parcel of each other. So Binti gets accepted into this intergalactic university and runs off to attend the university despite um, her parents and her family not really approving of her going to attend this university being off and away from them. And while in transit, her ship gets attacked by the Medusi, which is a race of tentacle-like creatures that are at war with another ethnic tribe in Nigeria that comprise the majority um, of this country. And they had been at war, honestly, for what feels like forever. So, long story short, the Medusi actually killed everyone on board her ship. <laughs> but her. Hey. Cool. Yeah. Um, while dealing with this trauma, she discovers that an ancient piece of technology from her home, known as an Edon, allows her to communicate with the Medusi. And equipped with this, she befriends one of the Medusi and subsequently undergoes this physical transformation indicative of her new charge, which is to broker a peace between the two warring peoples as she figures out her place in the universe and her place at this new intergalactic home. Yeah. Yeah. That in a nutshell. That's that's it, <laughs> and it sounds amazing. <laughs> it it really really is. I mean, um, my only thing, and I mean, I really I'm a little worried just for because of what has happened to works like this in the past when they're adapted onto screen. But knowing you know who is behind this, and yeah. kind of reading that you know Nettie Okorafor is definitely involved. Um, I think though do it justice i think so uh, when it goes over to hulu um especially when it comes to her transformation like i don't want just like an avatar state type of thing going on <laughs> lol you know i would i would love to actually see her transform yeah um, and, and you know it visually um you know seem like what happens in the in the novel well one thing that i will say that gives me hope yeah, no is that um nadia korofor writes with a degree of specificity um cultural and otherwise that I she think does. Hulu is going to have to really respect because she will have it no other way. She calls herself an African futurist, not an Afrofuturist for mm-hmm. a particular reason. And mm-hmm. that, I think, is indicative of the kind of specificity that she imbues um, into her works. Yes. So, Also, she is a fantastic world builder. So oh, completely and utterly. So much yeah. uh, material to go off of. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. When I tell you this person, she not only does, obviously, her anthropological research, duh. Um, she also writes on what she knows. But she is a huge fan of botany, a huge fan of the study of insects. Zoology. Yes, a huge fan yeah. of study of just animals in general. And half of, uh, because, you know, obviously I follow her on Twitter, half of it is me just, like, lurk, looking for her new projects. And then the other half, it well, okay, a third of it is me looking for her new projects. A third of it is me admiring her cat. Um, yes, very her cat, cat. Her cat has also a Twitter. Has also her cat also has a Twitter. <laughs> and the other <laughs> third is everything that she retweets about amazing insects and birds and animals. Yes, and stuff like yes, this. like stuff that you just wouldn't. Just very alien esque stuff that is yes. actually real. Yeah. Um, and you could go out there and find and touch. Um, it reveals just how yeah. little we know about the natural world around us. Because mm-hmm. um, speciesism is real. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I think that this is going to be great for Hulu, great for Nadia Korafor. I think probably better for Hulu than Nadia Korafor because she honestly doesn't need their money <laughs> nor anyone's validation about her work, honestly. Right, right. So this is just great, especially for those of us who are huge fans of the genre who are looking for less actual European or less European inspired tales of witches and wizards and more tales about the magic that exists within communities that look like us Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. both now in the past and in the future. And I couldn't uh, move on from this without saying that the series has won both the Hugo and Nebula awards for best novella. So um, I mean, yeah, go read it. Yeah. um, And look forward to it. They haven't uh, announced a release date yet when it will air on Hulu, but I'm sure it'll probably be in the next year or two. Um, hopefully two, so they can do it right. <laughs> I was going to say, this is one of those series that I am hoping they do not rush to get to us. Yeah. Um, while there are expectations, we also have plenty of content to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially like plenty... Like novella. Exactly. <laughs> so I can actually have... So I actually could have read all of it. Yeah. And the way that you are telling these people. The lies. But... <laughs> Also, there are plenty of books by her in general that we can get through. Yes. Um, so that's that. And moving on, Showtime recently revealed the premiere date and a teaser trailer for Penny Dreadful City of Angels. Sounds like it's going to take place in Los Angeles. Uh, you mean not Virginia? Not the Shenandoah Valley? No. No. No? No? Okay. <laughs> but uh, this new series is not the fourth season of the original uh, Showtime series, um, which was a Victorian period supernatural series that ran for three seasons, exploring multiple characters from classic Victorian horror tales, a.k.a. Penny Dreadfuls. So you kind of had the Wolfman in there, Dorian Gray, Dr. Frankenstein and his monster, the Bride of Frankenstein, et cetera, et cetera. You know, those classic yeah. horror um villains and characters and they were fucking <laughs> but this is more so a <laughs> spiritual successor to that hopefully uh, with also the similar amount of uh yeah i mean it's showtime so gay shit <laughs> there's, prob- there's probably gonna be that mm-hmm. uh, i mean nathan lane's in there so there's probably gonna be that factual there's uh probably gonna be a lot of you know great television but um the original because i mean the original was a, a cult classic so I'm sure this will go. Oh, definitely. As well. Oh, sure. Yeah. But it'll take place in 1938 Los Angeles. Um, so it's right kind of the time where Hollywood is really taking off. And it's probably like mid, what, mid to, to the end of World War II. Yep. Yep. Um, kind of set in that time period. Um, but it's also a time that's deeply infused with social and political tension. <laughs> a little bit of tension. A little bit of tension. <laughs> Uh, after a grisly Black Dahlia-esque murder shocks Los Angeles, Detective Tiago Vega, um, who was the first Mexican-American LAPD and played by Daniel Zavato, um, and his partner, Louis Meichner, who is uh, portrayed by Nathan Lane, like mm-hmm. I said earlier, uh, will become embroiled in this huge story that kind of reflects the rich history of Los Angeles. Um, so you're going to get the starts of the city where the first freeways are being built. Um, you're going to get, uh, the deep traditions of Mexican American folklore and kind of how people 
destroyed. <laughs> well, yeah, there's going to be a lot of content, a lot of conversations that, about yeah. the um, forced displacement of a lot of Mexican-American communities as a result of this construction of this freeway, because similar to other freeways, especially in the South, there's a phenomenal documentary about how one um, highway in North Carolina in particular split a community in half. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to see similar um uh, storytelling about this construction of the highway as it relates to the forced displacement of many of these communities. Side note, like, this was 1938, Mm -hmm. and, like, look at what's happening in Hawaii today. Like, this shit's still going on. Oh, my God, yeah, completely. I mean, I was reading this interview about um, the showrunner who really wanted to tell this kind of story. I think it was the showrunner or creator. But I want to get this mixed up, but we'll double check. Mm -hmm. Um, Either way, they were having a conversation with a reporter about the origins of the story came to them when Trump first got elected because he wanted to tell a story, one about Mexican-Americans, but also about some of the ways in which the modern forces that are really um, tearing apart some of these communities have existed for a while now, and some of them have their start in many of these early uh, constructions of fame and wealth Mm -hmm. in places like Mm -hmm. California and Texas and other places. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely going to expound upon that. Um, we're also going to get into dangerous espionage, espionage actions mm-hmm. of the Third Reich. Um, you know, huge time period where Nazis were acting up. Nazis doing Nazi shit. Nazis doing Nazi shit. Um, and also the rise of radio uh, evangelism. So there's a lot of stuff that they're packing into this first season. A lot of it. Um, Cooking with grease. Woo. <laughs> yeah. Woo. Woo. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that to say, before long, uh, the detective Tiago and his whole family kind of get involved into this, to everything that I just mentioned, <clears throat> and it threatens to tear them up, them and their community apart. So we're going to kind of see that story yes. um, play out. And after watching the trailer, uh, it's also very noticeable. Um, the actress Natalie Dormer is going to play a huge role in the first season of this series. She's this uh, demon-esque witch-type character who we don't really know much about. Her name is Magda, and she is the sister of Santa Muerte. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of all we know about her so far. Yeah. Oh, she can shapeshift. She can shapeshift, she can which wet. I'm super excited <laughs> about. And the trailer definitely shows her in, I think, three human forms. So I'm not sure if these forms are interrelated. I think they are. So it's more so a question of to what degree are they interrelated and know of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, like he said, she is the twin sister of Santa, Mo- Santa Morita. Mm-hmm. That's fun for my tongue right now. Um, and it's interesting because she had this quote in the trailer that stuck with me because I am... Not a pessimist per se, but definitely someone that airs on the side of we ain't shit. <laughs> and she says that um, no matter how many chances she gives to the human race, they continue continue to choose um, banality and being baseless and remaining these carnal creatures. Yeah. So it seems like she is happy to foster the seeds of discord because she deeply believes that human beings are ultimately flawed and cannot be saved. Mm -hmm. So she's going to probably face off in a good versus evil type situation with her sister, who is the holy angel of death, revered in Mexican-American culture. Mm -hmm. So it should be interesting. Mm -hmm. Yep, they're definitely pitted against each other throughout this show. So I wonder how how that's going to play out. Um, 
But yeah, we it's also have Rory Kiner returning from the first series, um, and he's the only actor to do so. He played Frankenstein's monster um, in the original show. Uh, but it's said that he's going to be playing a completely different role in this show this time around. So maybe the series is going to try to do an American Horror Story type anthology vibe. Give us that. We're going to see. No, We're going to see. Because <laughs> to be honest, it feels like um, Penny Dreadful and American Horror Story could be one and the same. The only difference is American Horror Story definitely does not shy away from its camp undertones in a way that I think Penny Dreadfuls is trying to take itself a bit more serious. Not that seriousness is any indication of better quality or or prestige, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, actually. Yeah. Also, Um, I think think Penny Dreadful tends to take its characters and maybe not its stories, but definitely its characters from um, historic fictional characters. Most definitely. Whereas American Horror Story definitely pulls from the real reality and the realistic and builds narratives around that 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 are a little spooky-ooky. Yeah, I think it's a bit more cult culture and cult classic Mm -hmm. in American Horror Story, Mm -hmm. whereas Penny Dreadful really delights in this kind of excavation of myths and Mm -hmm. uh, storytelling around myths, which is pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. I would not mind an anthology because there are definitely other myths that we could be talking about because God knows um, American gods and going nowhere. So, honestly, truly, Uh literally and proverbially the grave. So um, we could really use something to fill that void to reconnect us with a lot of interesting myths about who we come from and all that jazz. I am fucking, if you really could not tell, (laughs) the quickest way to marry her is magic and myths. Mm, Yes, magical realism as well. Because she loves a good world building. Let that be known. Yes. Well, the... um, this uh, series, uh, this new series, um, will be uh, showrun by John Logan, who is—he's been the showrunner since day one. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's great because he'll definitely—he'll—he'll he'll definitely be there to kind of blend the tones of the series. So it'll be something new, but it'll definitely be able to bring over the old audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and executive producers will be Sam Mendes and Pippa Harris. Who I do believe are producers on 1917. Yeah, so, um, and Sam Mendes is the director of 1917. Yeah, so, so I mean, this is probably going to be a huge spectacle. Lots of explosions. We're going to see. I mean, the trailer definitely showed a shit ton of explosions. <laughs> At least gunfights. I mean, I saw look, about six. I'm not saying I'm not saying that you know Sam Mendes and Michael Bay share <laughs> similar predilections. <laughs> for boobs and explosions right. but <laughs> all i'm saying <laughs> they definitely are inspired by like the same instincts which yes. is very interesting well the series has a premiere date set for sunday april 26th so we have a few months before we um see series premiere yep um and we'll definitely be getting some more material uh before then about what the series is all about yep yep on to the next one According to New York Daily News, the first ever Harry Potter franchise flagship store is set to come to New York City this summer. Mm. <sighs> mm. Tourists. Mm. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm like 50% excited. One more year. Once again, one should not tell lies. Yeah, yeah. I'm more like, like maybe... 35, 40% excited. The rest is kind of me just saying, like, ah, oh, this 
freaking it's already hard enough to get through Midtown and like Herald Square, Flatiron area yeah, during the summer because of tourists. But, you know, it seems like a fun experience. The store is said to be the largest dedicated to the massive franchise of movies, novels, books, you know, video games and the online community. Mm-hmm. Here's my thought though. Yes, they say it's going to be like the largest dedicated store, I guess, to to yeah, like single store to the universe. It's the flagship. Okay, what the hell are you going to do with Harry Potter World? Like that is a whole eight neighborhoods worth of yeah, I know. Shit but that's they're like, selling. That's inside of a theme park. So I mean, sure, sure. And I think this is going to be less of an experience. I mean, they say there are going to be experiences to be had, but I don't think it's going to be like you can walk down Diagon Alley and <laughs> you got Ollivander's there. You got of course, you can yeah. choose your virtual, you know, short hair cat yeah, or whatever. Yeah, of course, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's not that whole thing. You can't just jump over to the next park and then there's Green Gots with, with the... Um, I mean, they, they just have to be... Goblins. Yeah. No, not goblins. Goblins. Yes. Um... I mean, I guess I'm just I'm just real concerned. But you know what? Tell the kids more about what they can expect to spend their money on. Yes. So um, it's going to have well, it's going to be um, located right across the street from the Flatiron Building in the Flatiron District, and visitors can expect to purchase items inspired by the Harry Potter franchise. So you, all the original Harry Potter books, the um, what is that other movie series that is horrible so far? Um. um the one where Eddie Redman can uh, be everybody, well, can be himself, essentially, like he is yeah, in every that other one. thing that he's in. Uh-huh. Um, um, and apparently there's a new Dumbledore, because that makes sense. Oh, yes. Yeah. Why? Why? So the finer details you can remember, but not the whole. <laughs> sure. Um, um, Fantastic Beasts. Yeah, Fantastic yes. Beasts and where to find them. Yeah, so yes. that's gonna, stuff from that's going to be there. Stuff from The Cursed Child's going to be there. And, um, hashtag not canon. But um, okay, yeah, I mean, I'm okay, um, that's going to be available for for purchase. Um, all the sweets, so those jelly beans that everyone likes, the chocolate frogs. You can get your own personal wand. You mm-hmm. can probably get wands from the characters as well, um, and your own personal robe from whichever house that you fall in. Um, and apparently, there's also going to be other interactive experiences and photo opportunities. I think maybe some AR. Opportunities oh, yeah, because yeah. they have those AR games out now. Isn't there a Disney store that's in Times Square, right? Yes. No, yes. there used to be a closed down. So I think it's probably going to mirror itself after yeah, the I Disney so. store, where I think so. the interactive experiences are going to be there. But also, you can purchase those things that Mike was telling you about for whatever reason you might want them. Anyway, <laughs> yes. Um, they really should put a cafe in there. Oh, yes, yeah. factual. But there's also remember there's that cafe that's in. There is. Lower East Side or Battery Park? Uh, Brooklyn. Brooklyn? I don't think it's in Brooklyn. I think it's in Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so there's a cafe, but there's also a restaurant that has a whole experience where you can make potions. No, I know. It's it's, it's it's one of the same. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, it's okay. in Manhattan. Okay. We'll double check. Either way. Put in the show notes. Yes, we'll put in the <laughs> show notes. <laughs> um, I mean, we'll see. But as you said, tourist, which... No one is happy yeah, about no. no one, you know, looks and thinks about New York, who lives in New York and says, you know what, one thing that we need are more tourists. 
No one ever right. says that. Especially outside of Times Square. Yes. But, uh, I mean, bring it on. Bring it on. Because <laughs> am I going to go at least once? Yeah, I am. I mean, of course, when you say I'm bring it on, it sounds like you're getting ready to fight these people. <laughs> no, 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 no. Stage your own. Uh, what's that movie with uh, Mel Not Gibson and the Scottish people? Braveheart. Yep, stage your yeah. own Braveheart. Mm-hmm. You are William Wallace. <laughs> um, but um, I do want my Raven's Claw robe. I do want that. And I don't Raven's know if, Claw. I know. <laughs> Raven's Claw. Claw. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Liquor on the lips. Remember that. Uh-huh. Um, and I would kind of like a wand, but that determined, that's all determined on the price. I would have to learn how to sew. Well, because obviously I am. because oh, you're going to tear that robot no i'm not with all you're like no blurring it around excuse and... me first of all a, a professional never tears um but anyway <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no it's because we all know that i am a ravenclaw moon slytherin rising oh my god okay. so i must create a robe that is reflective of my you know unique place in the mm-hmm. harry potter world and, and, and framework and all that jazz cool so cool <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Past that. Oh, um, well, th- there's no date yet. There's mm. no set date yet for when the store is Sure, just open. to close this out. It'll just be in the summer um, of this year sometime. Um, may, you know, we might take a, a, a trip, see where it is. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be like... Magic. There we go. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. <laughs> We're editing that out. E- nope. Mm-mm. No, baby. <laughs> okay, now officially moving on. Um, last but definitely not least, Hair Love, the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful short created by Matthew A. Cherry, has earned itself an Oscar nomination. Woo! I know. Super exciting. Um, last Sunday during the 92nd, too many, um, 2020 <laughs> Oscar nomination. Just like that, Lord. <laughs> it well. was announced that the film was nominated uh, for Best Animated Short alongside um, Sarah, uh, Sarah, a.k.a. Daughter, um, Kit Bull, Memorable, and Sister. Now, uh, Hair Love started as a 2017 Kickstarter campaign that eventually raised over $300,000, which according to the crowdfunding platform, exceeds the amount raised by any other short film project ever on that platform. Um, It was also eventually released as a children's book in May of last year um, and shown in theaters ahead of the Angry Birds 2 movie. (laughs) Which means that, honestly, most of us probably saw it via YouTube. Yes. Because yes, <laughs> yes. no one really saw Angry Birds 2. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I had heard about it for a while on Twitter that, like, this was coming up. This was amazing. People who had seen it that that probably, you know, gave money to the... Um, Almost definitely. <clears throat> to the uh, Kickstarter saw it. Um, they were saying it's great. And then I did see that it was going to be playing before Angry Birds 2. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> Once again. <laughs> Tell me how it is. But I guess I'll see it when I see it. Look. But yeah, they eventually put it on YouTube. I'm good love. Enjoy. <laughs> Yeah, so Sony acquired it um, early last year, and after it played in Angry Birds two, um, the Angry Birds two movie, it eventually was uploaded to YouTube, so for everyone to see, mm-hmm. and it was great. It was amazing. 
The official description um, of the film notes that it tells the heartfelt story of an African-American father learning to do his daughter's hair for the first time. And I mean, honestly, Chef's Kiss to that, it's such an important, simple um, narrative and story that means an immense deal to um, the African-American community. Not only does it really destigmatize and elevate black hair and black female hair, but it also works to break down toxic socialized ideas um, like men shouldn't do hair or that, you know, black men are absent fathers or that black hair is quote unquote untamable and, you know, uh, many other things like that. I know. I know. So, um, it was so cute. It was so cute. And I loved it so much. And I was like, oh, me one day. I know. I know. <laughs> Did you see um, uh, Matthew A. Cherry today tweeted? A photo of what I believe is his yes. daughter looking at not the, what I thought you were gonna say, but this is amazing. Yep, Tell me more. Yep. <laughs> I was like, what think I was gonna say? <laughs> no, but anyway, you go, you go first. yes. You so go he first. tweeted this photo of um, whom I um, who I believe to be his daughter looking at I think like the title screen of it, just mm-hmm. standing up on 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 the sofa cushions. Um, my first thought was she's wearing shoes. Um, <laughs> no shoes on that couch. But my second thought was. <laughs> <laughs> that was delightful and adorable yeah, it really adorable. softened my heart and I'm someone that thinks that kids are something yeah, economically like- necessary <laughs> but um no that is amazing I was gonna say that he tweeted I think it was in 2012 oh yes 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 that he's gonna win an Oscar one day yes and he was finally nominated and he tweeted again saying like see you know dreams do come true or something like something to that I know you know uh, matter but yeah and I was like ah oh, that's amazing. that's just great right there you know put it out there into the universe look and then make it happen the good book says write the vision and make it plain yes so but um, my vote is in for Everyone Black, which since there's not that many this year. I was going to say, what, <laughs> maybe three people, four people? Uh, but no, my um, vote's definitely in for this movie winning the category. Yeah. Um, I really do hope so. And I will close this out and this section out with hashtag Black Girl Magic and hashtag Black Boy Joy. I know. I know. It's so freaking cute. And like it almost for two seconds, I was like, a ch- A child. A ch- <laughs> That thing, that little creature it is, it's cute. <laughs> All right, uh, on to For the Culture. For the Culture. So it is a new year, new decade, and tons of new content out there. Um, yes. Which is a freaking understatement. In 2020 alone, we are getting movies like Wonder Woman 1984, the long-awaited New Mutants, which I really hope it was worth the time for the uh, reshoots. It looks to be, yeah, despite its issues with excited. colorism. I've never, oh, with the castings of some of the characters. True. Yeah. True. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I'm still excited for though. I was never not excited for this. Oh, of course. You know. I mean, once again, like I said, I'm not a pessimist, but I really did not think this film would see the light or darkness of day. Yes. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Um, But here we are. Uh, We're getting TV shows like The Return of Chilling Adventures of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Mm -hmm. um, all that shit on Disney+. Growth and prudence. I am ready. And we're also getting tons of games, books, and comics coming out. Now, I mean, it's January and I'm already behind. Can we talk about it? (laughs) So no one can consume it all. And 
let alone provide, you know, thoughtful commentary on it. But we try and often fail, but, you know, at the very least, we're not flooding your Twitter feed with our half-formed thoughts, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. some other folks. Mm -hmm. So in the spirit of the new year, we're going to share our 2020 geek culture goals with a commitment um, to being more conscious consumers um, in order to provide more thoughtful commentary and consistent support for the creations and content that we love. Yes, our pledge to you. <laughs> Look, I said <laughs> commitment in that questionable tone because I'm being non-committed with this shit. <laughs> We're going to try. <laughs> We're really going to try. Look, <laughs> try and try again. Um, if you can't win, you know, your season, hope for all stars and... Keep it pushing. That's a good one. Yeah, I like it. So here are the rules of what we're going to do today. Um, each of us is going to trade off sharing three goals that we have for our, you know, 2020 geek culture goals. We're going to name it, share the inspiration behind it, and then also react to each other's goals. And bonus points if we can provide examples for these goals to really, you know, hold us accountable and watch us kind of walk back these commitments mm-hmm. <laughs> as we get to August and then eventually December. Yeah. Um, so starting off with you, Mike. Lovely. So um, the first goal that I am sharing um, in this new year is that um, I want to invest in myself by, Or let me put it this way. <laughs> I was like, where is this framing going, friend? You know, we're all waiting. I don't have the time or the money to play every video game that I want to play. Mm-mm. Every video game on my list. It's just not possible. Okay? So I want to invest in spending more time because it's okay. I can do this. Yes, you can. Um, watching, you know, games that I want. Making a conscious decision of which ones, but watching um, playthroughs on YouTube and or Twitch. Um... To, to save me time, save me money, um, but still get the content that I want and I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, inspiration behind this is <laughs> me being broke. I no. was going to say reality. <laughs> reality. No, I mean, honestly, it is. Um, but also inspiration is that a, maybe like a side goal on this is that I want to grow to understand the Twitch platform a little bit more. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Um, And so I think this is a good way to kind of ease myself into that Um, and for me to better understand it so I can help other people that I know understand it because right now no one that I really know understands it. Like, it's, you know, here and there. We know what it is, but, like, to actually get on it and do what you need to do, like, yeah, that's a lot. That's true. Um, we're millennials, and it's a very Gen Z. Well, at the That's same lot, time, you know, yeah. being a Capricorn, I'm thinking about marketability mm-hmm. and being able to say that you know the ins and outs of Twitch and being able to show your, um, you know, working knowledge of it also. Hello, working marketing. Right. Um, could really boost your marketability. I mean, of course there's that. Yeah. <laughs> but also, because, like, it's, it's a popular thing with the youths, mm-hmm. that and uh, TikTok. Yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my one one of my things. And I guess an example would be um I know coming up in the first well in the first three months of this year there were four um AAA titles that I really wanted to play through. 
Luckily, I just found out that one of them, Final, the Final Fantasy VII remake, has been delayed until April. Ooh. So that gives me a little bit of time. Praise Jesus. A little bit of re- breathing room. But, um, yeah, those are those were four games that I really wanted to play. And it's beginning of the year. Work's ramping up. You know, it's there's just no way that all of that would have happened. So I guess a, a great example um, is maybe I will watch a playthrough of um this is hard (laughs) (laughs) um secrets of mana oh okay yeah yeah i don't think that's the title of the newest game that's coming out i can't i don't know why it's slipping my mind right now but i will probably watch that one um via youtube or um twitch um, instead of purchasing it and playing it. I'll save that money for Cyberpunk. Cool. All right. Um, kind of along those lines, uh, Mike has his goal of, well, recognizing that he can't play every video game. I have never had that belief <laughs> at all because I am not as much into video games no. as he is. I used to be when I was younger. Uh, and then, you know. I think we've both come to terms with that. I'm definitely the video game curator oh, yeah. in this. And you're definitely the, like, reading, like, books, novels curator in this. Yeah. And then everything yeah. else we both do. Yeah, definitely. Much. Yeah. I think around the time that I found um, Thoroughly Modern Millie, the musical, was when... Oh, don't even get me I started stopped. with theater, because you're definitely... I, I stopped playing video games. That's your... That's you. That's you. <laughs> anyway, so my big thing is, uh, or I guess one goal that I have, is to try to play at least one video game a month, even if that means, you know, fighting with Gamefly, because we currently have an issue. All right, girl. <laughs> Act the fool. <laughs> Look. Act the fool. <laughs> I am litigious. <laughs> Shake the table, girl. They about to find out. <laughs> Karen from finance. <laughs> That's my Patronus. I'm not even going to get into this game. Exactly. Situation. Exactly. <laughs> so inspiration behind that, um, just more, I guess, um, insight perspective, uh, pulling back the curtain of my personal life. I have just recently started a new anti-anxiety uh, medication, which means my brain is yes, all the flutter. Health. Yes. Um, it is a lot, and I am sometimes filled with a shit ton of energy and not quite sure what to do with it, and, and it just so happens that Mike and I have picked uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 back up, and that has done wonders for helping me channel a lot of my anxious energy into something productive aside from work, because I'm also, side note, trying to work on not prioritizing work in the sense of self-worth and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Anywho. Mm-hmm. Um, so that has got me thinking about the mental health benefits of playing video games, at least for me personally. I can't speak for other people, but I will say personally, just this one cup, this what, one window that Hallelujah. we've experienced. It's been great. Yes. So um, an example of this goal is I'm going to obviously finish playing multi- uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 with you. Mm-hmm. Um, side note, still pissed about Storm and her gameplay, but you know, I'm making it work with Scarlet Witch. Look, we just have to get the DLCs. She can get a new costume. The, the costume is not the problem. We've talked about this. I know, but Iceman. <laughs> that's that's why we got to get the DLCs. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And you can have Moon Knight. Yeah. Um, I've seen the gameplay. I'm also still not 
thrilled. Yeah. But, you know, we're going to finish it. We're going <laughs> to finish it. We're going to finish it. We're going to finish it. And also, I'm going to be on the lookout for more, especially games to play with friends, um, because obviously I like playing with you, and then we also have another group of friends that we like playing video games with. So anything that allows us to both, you know, play video games and also invest in our community is great. Not going to lie, that actually sounds like a great maybe not segment but a great um side list for us to have in our um somewhere in our notes just like games to play with friends for those people who out are are out there that aren't super um into video games or like super video game enthusiasts like me and Maya here but you know like to play the game every now and then and likes to play with other people and want um (laughs) suggestions of games that uh you know, they can possibly pick up and do that. That's not like super hard. That won't make you have a headache because it's a, f- a first person shooter. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. And all that good stuff. I'm going to work on not internalizing that as a personal attack. <laughs> um, I also know that in addition to Karen from Finance, I feel like uh, Megan McCain's defensiveness is also my Patronus. <laughs> Very much so. So, <laughs> going to work on that. Um, all right. I can think it's back to you, friend. Oh, already. so the second goal that i have for this year is to get back into buying more single issue comics um and are subscribing to an app or comic service uh my inspiration for this is a it's something that we talked about a lot last year with the way that um the movie industry is reaping in so much money from, you know, whether it's Marvel or DC and upcoming Vertigo with Bloodshot. Um, yeah. It's reaping in so much money from all of these um, pr- um, projects. And the comic book side of it is not necessarily seeing that money. Yeah. Um, yeah. And is struggling in a constant state of struggle. So I want to do as much as I can to um, support that comic book side yeah i definitely think that is a trend that we talk a lot about and we'll likely talk more about on this podcast is the exploitative relationship between um hollywood and the movie making industry and the way it just kind of like you said uh reaps and farms and frankly just gobbles up other original ips intellectual Mm -hmm. property in a way that often doesn't respect the intentions or even as or even respect the work of it. I'm not saying it has to be a complete adaptation, copy and paste, but it definitely needs to just be better or like really like elevate it or or contribute to the content, not just something to be another tentpole movie and your slate of movies. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, bravo. I'm definitely fully on board supporting on that. Yep. And I, I mean, I've been doing a good job with graphic novels. Um, I definitely want to get back into single issue comics because I think there are a lot of stories out there that you uh, you guys will definitely hear us talk about on the podcast, uh, but that we also want to to read, um, whether it's you know the X Men or uh, Harley Quinn or whatever have you, yeah, um, <clears throat> out there that I really want to buy and support because I want them to continue to make more of that comic um, yep. series. Um, and not get cut short because of sales, because that is the easiest thing that they can do. Is oh, cut completely. Short of sales. And I guess an example of that would be um, last year, towards the end of last year, there was House of X and Powers of X, the um, series that kind of was a soft reboot of the X-Men series. 
soft reboot, but an utter grenade. Oh, it too. Grenade. It was a new, <laughs> like it turned the whole X Men series onto its head for the better. Oh, completely, uh, utterly, completely. And it ended up spawn. And I bought a few of those single issues. Unfortunately, they sold out so fucking fast they sold out like hotcakes and so i wasn't able to buy every single single issue even variant um covers of them but um i kind of want to continue into this year of now that they're now that that has stemmed so many single series because of that yeah um, soft reboot i want to definitely invest and buy single issues of the series that i that i really enjoy yeah makes sense um, related like yeah, like Marauders on like X Factor, which will, I guess, I, I, I think I want to mention it somewhere. I have it written down, I guess, in the recesses of my mind. Um, relatedly, um, I want to put down the remote and pick up more books and graphic novels. Um, thank you for being generous and saying that I'm yeah. <laughs> more you don't have a um, <laughs> into books and graphic novels. That's like, <laughs> lol. Um, we both try to read a lot more than we intend to, especially in the age of screens. It is far more easy to watch someone's 13 minute coverage of a book or a review on YouTube, or, you know, it's... Yeah, it's, it's just... Like, it's I, I feel so lazy after oh, I Oh, my God. You completely, know? yeah. And it doesn't give you everything. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. And I feel like our our, our imaginations are um, flattened uh-huh. as a result when we don't kind of engage in that creative exercise of mm-hmm. allowing our brains and our subconscious to dream up some of what um, these texts could look and feel like. Anyway uh yeah goal to put down the remote and pick up more books and graphic novels inspiration behind it as i've already kind of alluded to we watch a lot of tv <laughs> second only to movies um and things are kind of starting to blend and wash over me i don't know if you feel the same way <laughs> well i've never been this person but i get to the oh, point where really? i'm watching a show that i actually really enjoy like, this is something that I'm subscribing to. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm adding this to my list. Not ironically, yes. but I actually really want to watch this show. And I watched the majority of the show through two screens mm-hmm. because it kind of, like, I, I'm getting to the point where I can know what's happening on the show without just looking at the screen and seeing. You, you know you know what I'm I, saying? I where do. you can just hear I it. I do. What's happening while you're doing whatever else that you're doing. Um, and it, it becomes background noise. But then you get to the point where you're like, oh yeah, I can tell you the whole series and what happened back to back to back to back to back. So I don't have that ability. Well, that's, <laughs> but, has, you that's know, a youth thing. <laughs> I'm slowly evolving into my, you know, the apex of, of, of human whatever but um but no it's getting to that point and it, and and i don't like it because I, I i like when i'm enthralled by something yeah and i think what happens is i'm watching so many things and i'm just binging straight through them oh Thank you, just powering through um that it's losing its magic yeah yeah I mean, honestly, that's really, that kind of encapsulates why I want to put down the remote to pick up more books is because even moments that are really impactful, like um, all the Watchmen, especially the moment where they start off with the Tulsa race riots or even watching the exposition of her grandfather, they're becoming way more ephemeral than I would like them to be. Yeah. 
And I think it's important to, especially in this day and age, to read more because there's so much that we can just watch and I wouldn't say passively consume because I hate that kind of characterization of how we watch TV. Some people fully believe that I have a whole, like, for lack of a better term, diatribe about this shit. Um, But I definitely think that I'm just like you are sometimes right beside you, powering through shit, (laughs) even Mm -hmm. though I may not grasp what it's trying to say because I'm like, well, I have to get through episode two. And I frequently fall asleep during these things. So I'm really missing shit. Yeah. But also, I think that TV and film are becoming a lot more um, influential in our everyday life from our politics to how we talk about the economy to um, the way in which we would describe the world around us and describe our visions for the future. And there are authors who are either being left out of important cultural conversations or who are defining the culture in a way that I'm not privy to only because I'm too lazy to pick up a book. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I definitely want to make sure that I leave space in my kind of cultural repertoire to pick up some of this material as a way of being more conscious about how I show up in the world and the kind of what I want to leave behind for the creature I'll leave behind. <laughs> so... <laughs> An example of that, oddly enough, is starting off with a comic book. I want to read X-Factor, which is part oh. two of this new X-Men universe that's been created through yeah, House they, of... they're calling the... The, uh, the... <laughs> <laughs> the something? The conglomeration. Yes. That's the word. Yes. Um, they're calling the conglomeration of all of these um, um, smaller projects... Um, Dawn of the X or yes. Dawn of the X-Men or something like that. But exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to start off with X-Factor as part of Dawn of X and X-Factor in particular is going to be a different take on one the team formation that is the X-Factor. They are supposed to be investigating mutant deaths not to avenge them but to actually get at and uh, unpack this idea of resurrection because part of Dawn of X, there's a new group of mutants who are able to resurrect or create the five. They're able to create new bodies and implant memories from Cerebro um, into a new body. And so this person is effectively resurrected. And so they are, we're digging more into what that means for the X-Men universe. And I feel like it's bringing up conversations where you were always afraid that the next page over somebody was going to die was gonna die exactly they've changed the game to where now mutants are technically immortal yes in some in some shape or form enjoy their stories and their and just the the people who they are and what what they come across and and how they're deciding to 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 give back to their the mutant kind in the world so like yes yes so want to learn more about that and then also obviously i'm going to um start with what my what was coming down the pike so excited to start this new book um (laughs) we're gonna see but i'll tell you how black girl unlimited can you tell me how the water dancer is first oh you want to be rude today (laughs) that's cute well you know what mike next (laughs) Um, my third and final goal, um, that we're sharing on this podcast, obviously we have many more. Do you? <laughs> yes. Do you, yes, Michael? I do. <laughs> but, uh, my third and final goal is I want to finally try D&D this year, um, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I think the series has gotten a resurgence ever since Stranger Things came back, um, well, came back, but since it was created 
um, a few years ago, and the whole D&D tabletop um, gaming sphere kind of got, a re- yeah, it got a resurgence. People kind of learned about it more. And um, especially since the 80s, the theme of the 80s is coming back and has come back too. But, um, <laughs> but no, it's something I've always wanted to try out. Um, I just need to find a group that um that wants to do it with me and i i know a few people that want to do it and we're really excited to start we just have to convince a few more people to join um but yeah i think it's a great idea my inspiration for this obviously is um my friends who have been getting into these groups and starting to play it again lately and have been coming back to me saying like this is something i thought was going to be really stupid, really long and time consuming, really boring. And then coming back and saying like how enjoyable it is. Um, and it, you know, every game is different depending on the group of people that you play with. You really do create your own story and your own narrative and your own. Of course, of course. Um, and my other inspiration is like stranger things and seeing this being played out and seeing that it's, it is cool. And you know, it's, you know, yeah. Example. So, I can't wait to hear this. So, I love Wendy's. And, I mean, I think they make some of the best burgers out there. I know some of y'all are going to want to fight me on those words, but... Me, myself I, included. <laughs> besides Burger King. Uh, okay, there we are. There, Because that... All I wanted was that to put some grill. respect on their name. Yeah, you can't beat that char girl. But... Um, Wendy's came out with this D and D esque <laughs> um, version of a map and a playthrough, and I saw that and I read through it and it actually looks pretty interesting and really fun. Um, very just like out there, <laughs> but um, it seems like a good place to kind of start off. And apparently, for those of you out there, there's like, oh yeah, D and D, but it sounds just like so much, so difficult. Like, how would you even start to so get into time that? consuming? Yeah, yeah. Um, the the new see the I think it's like the version five or season five of the game, um, and the rule book has really made it a lot easier for the um, for the version to the game to get into it and actually understand it and learn. Um, there's also a lot of online applications that you can use to make things a lot easier to play with. Um, and they, they definitely made it to where uh, you don't have to take a college course to get into it and actually know how to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Also, shout out to it, The Adventure Zone, which is a podcast where they kind of do a D&D, where they, not kind of, but they, yeah, they do D&D games and they have a whole playthrough and a whole narrative storyline. Um, that kind of really got me interested in it as well. Okay, I'll give you that. Um, if you didn't catch on the subtext... Um, I'm one of the people he has to convince to sure play D&D. And I will tell you, like I tell everyone else, if there's one item there. Some. <laughs> I don't want it to be like too much wine. Oh, of course Or should not. I say mead? So my <laughs> last goal. <laughs> we have to be coherent so we can make good decisions. Ew. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> I also don't want you rolling for initiative with a 20-sided die and it flies out of a window or, like, behind a TV or something. That is... I am not going to do that. It's going to be on the damn table. Relax. (laughs) Christ. There's something to get me through that 
time-consuming <laughs> experience. You're amongst friends. <laughs> that meant nothing about time. <laughs> it's still time-consuming. <laughs> Anywho, but speaking of time-consuming things, but a good kind of time-consuming, at least in my opinion, um, one thing that I am going to try to do is try to experience and curate more community spaces for queer people of color nerds queer like poc nerds game. yep like a dnd game see what happens when we don't connect on these things before we have <laughs> this podcast literally the idea that we're trying to do we're trying Any to do who? A queer, no like a D game no where everyone in the the game is queer uh people of color like how fun would that be done Yes, it's your goal. I'm sorry for cutting you off. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but yes, I guess that is a good example of that. Um, and if possible, I guess to follow up on Mike's thought, to try to anchor these offline experiences in places that actually sustain us. So things like queer coffee shops mm-hmm. or in the homes of folks that we know, um, places that really can create an offline in-person network of spaces and communities that really support us. So yeah. really taking... Not taking and not trying to supplant digital spaces, but really trying to add them um, or add on to these spaces as a vital network of um, community well-being, especially in a time where we can be fragmented. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. trying to do that kind of work, um, inspiration behind that, I have been thinking a lot about tangible ways in which we can build our spaces, especially since integration into majority white cisgender to heteropatriarchal spaces just is not the move, really. Um, Oscars 2020 snubs uh, I can talk about other spaces damn near at nausea about how we have to question what are we being included into Yeah. so I'm thinking a lot about how do we contend with um, the power in these spaces and the way in which um, building our own spaces is a great counterforce to not only um, resources, but also just narrative and storytelling about what we can possibly do and the ways in which we can contribute to these genres in a way that is respectful of what we've done, what we can do, and, and how we hope to continue to build out space for queer nerds of color. Mm-hmm. So looking to really build some tangible um, applications and examples of that. That's awesome. A good one uh, for both of us, actually, is definitely attending FlameCon here in New York City in the summer. Yes. If you are not familiar with FlameCon, FlameCon is essentially... I was actually thinking of putting that down as a goal. Like, just attending more cons. Yes. Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Within reason, because I'm sure it's expensive. That was my thing. Are fucking expensive. Definitely FlameCon. Yes. Yeah. FlameCon is essentially a queer Comic Con. That's kind of like reductive, but it's also the simplest way to communicate it because there you really get to experience um, an intentional centering of queerness mm-hmm. as it relates to fan culture, which for me, my first time going, because Mike took me for my first time, was uh, transformative for me and how I relate and reconnect to um, a culture that I thought I had to disconnect myself from to make my way in the world mm-hmm. professionally and otherwise. Mm-hmm. So definitely trying to make a point of attending FlameCon this summer and then also leading up to FlameCon, just trying to create more in-person experiences, try to be part of more online conversations that are about this community building. So, okay. All right. Um, so we did this not only to um, keep each other 
accountable for also for you all to keep us accountable and we are definitely going to listen back to this section probably begrudgingly <laughs> yes and also like as, in december of this year or in, oh, in yeah, january to true. kind of check up again on how we've done on these goals yeah, but yeah we've met them and um as you are creating your own goals for the new year um at your jobs which i'm sure everyone is doing um create some new goals personally yeah. Um, especially as it uh, aligns with your geek side. Yeah. Um, and see how you can fit those in because I think that's definitely necessary. Um, yeah. In any way that we can be a resource, let us know. Yes. Cool. All and right. On to the last section. On to our last one. Let's uh, bring it home. Um, so please explain. Um, please explain how people can publicly make comments that diversity does not matter when it comes to things like merit particularly merit and awards in the very subjective world of the arts and culture and things like movies and tvs um tvs and tv shows um i'm talking about the comments and tweets from mr stephen king where he essentially said that he didn't think about diversity or that wasn't a, a part of the conversation when he had to provide his input as to what should be nominated for. I think the categories were best picture, best original screenplay, adapted screenplay, and I yeah, think some other categories. Since he's a writer. Those are the only three that he can actually vote for. Yes. So he didn't think about um, diversity when it comes to the people that he nominated for those categories and voted for for those categories. And really, how can people continue to make these comments publicly knowing that the relationship between things like taste and quality and seriousness as qualifiers and gatekeepers, the relationship of these words to power structures like racism, misogyny, all this shit has been unpacked damn near ad nauseum. Well, my, and, and, uh, and, and my thing is after he kind of made that statement, he came back and tried to rectify or clarify what he was saying. No, both and. Both and. <laughs> Talking about gatekeeping. Yes. And how if, you know, someone isn't given an opportunity in the arts, how are they going to be expected to win or to shine um, or to kind of, um, you know, be be awarded for yeah recognized for their work for for all the the good and the amazing work that they've done and this is exactly what he was (laughs) what he didn't do i was like he didn't take that into account when he was actually what he actually had the power to make those exactly and even if he didn't and even if he did or whatever he was doing this is why i said publicly state because i don't give a shit what happens in your heart i can't change that that's between you and your jesus you and your God. <laughs> Thank you. But what I'm saying is what you do out in public and the way in which that culminates and results in structural exclusion, like continuing uh, continue to be disregarded and unrecognized by the institutions that, frankly and unfortunately, quote unquote, matter as far as access to resources and opportunities Yo, what are we doing in 2020? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then had the nerve to say what he meant to say. He actually didn't say what he meant to say in being generous as an unpaid PR person for Stephen King. Um, he then went on to say, as Michael was saying, that it's all about access to opportunity and, and how can they be recognized unless everyone is given a fair share mm-hmm. of opportunity and, and access and not thinking about, okay, even the ways in which not only are you being recognized, but how you even are given access to certain spaces 
if you are given access to begin with or if access is predicated upon certain conditions, like you have to present very flat narratives of communities that have been historically underrepresented or histories that would often go ignored and would rightfully be ignored by the powers that be, Mm -hmm. that still matters in conversations about things like taste, quality, seriousness, and access. So, yeah, why? In 2020, I just don't understand. Like, if you don't understand, say, I don't understand why because of X, Y, Z, not state something as if it's fact. I also, um, this brought something to light um, for me that I didn't, that I didn't know um, beforehand is that um, people are only able, only able to nominate and vote for categories to which they are professionals in. So if you're getting a all white male best director or films that are all direct, you know, films for best picture that are all directed by um, white males. And that's because you, the Academy does not have enough people in there, in those categories. Yeah. Like the director's branch and the acting branch and like the sound editing folks and the cinematographers. Because like, you know, all the, all, you know, like film, like sound editing and, or like, um, makeup or costume design, like those might have a slew of people of color in them or women in them or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, um, and so they might receive nominations that, Oh yeah. Really sp- oh yeah. Yeah, it really spans the gamut. Like every like these are great nominations. These are the no- people that who who should be nominated. But if these big categories are kind of like just full of cis white men, and that here lies the problem. And some who are that, only going to vote for the Irishmen. <laughs> yes, I'm not saying that we should not be recognized for our contributions to the technical categories. God knows we do. The way in which we show up. Um, on screen is because of what's being done behind the camera. Mm-hmm. I think that is a, cru- a crucial and in- uh, integral part to it. And also, I want there to be someone far more qualified than I am, frankly, to um, really critically interrogate the ways in which our recognition in these categories, the narrow ways in which we are being recognized in these categories, feels like and can be perceived or and received as being rewarded for the tricks yeah. that the black folks or queer folks can do. Like we are being rewarded for yeah. uh, the ways in which they like the way we look and like the way certain effects show up, not for uh, the way in which we can uh, comprehensively contribute to the advancement mm-hmm. of the art of cinema in a way that a uh, best director in a way that someone who is the, um, the pioneer of, 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 or the, the focal point of this story is driving it along Mm -hmm. and the way that some of these last four categories in the last 30 minutes of a fucking two hour goddamn broadcast is being recognized for I just remember last year when they announced how many new people were being inducted into the Academy. And I was so happy that there were so many women. There were so many uh, people of color that were being inducted. And now I'm just like, wow, because at that point, I thought, oh, they're mm-hmm. all voting for every single category. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, that's not how it goes. No, no, no. no. Um, so now I'm thinking like, oh, okay, great. That's Well, it's still amazing that they've been inducted into the Academy. Yeah. But should, we need to be doing more. We, more people need to be inducting. Like, we yeah. need to be inducting more directors, you know, who are women and people of color. 
you know, just like it just all around, honestly. But in the but, same way that I'm looking for building other community spaces where we can fully recognize creators and the content that represents the communities that we're a part of, it is fully in recognition that, um, yeah, full integration into a project that was never meant for us is something that we kind of have to swallow and be constantly aware of even as we seek to be formally recognized by these institutions that unfortunately can shape our access Mm -hmm. to resources and opportunities. Yep, yep. So, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this podcast is probably... It's definitely not showing up on, you know, anyone's uh, top 100 yet. No, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Only two episodes in. But, two, epi- two full episodes um, in. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, I'm, I'm so happy to be back. We yes. are so happy to be back. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and we are so happy to, uh, once again, provide you all with content. Um, we hope you enjoyed. Um, and once again, thanks for listening, y'all. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Uh once again, we hope you enjoyed the conversation, the news, and the the, the rough edits that are probably to come. <laughs> Please rate and review generously, and remember to follow us on Twitter at This Is The Ink um, on Twitter and our Instagram at This underscore Is underscore The underscore Ink, all lowercase, and share with your friends, family, and undecided. See you next time. Bye, y'all. <laughs>